Welcome to the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire you to make the most of your journey in health and performance. Each episode will provide an in-depth discussion on a specific topic related to human performance. If you're a growth-minded individual seeking knowledge and better solutions, this podcast is for you. We're glad you're listening in and we're excited to learn alongside you. My name is Gabe Derman, and today I'm joined by Coach Clint Martin. Clint has been in the human performance setting for more than a decade. After stints at Iowa State and Nevada, he now serves as the Associate Head Coach of Athletic Performance at the University of Texas. He has been an integral part of five national championships and has coached more than a dozen Olympic medalists in track and swimming. On today's episode, we discuss a range of topics related to Clint's experiences as a human performance coach. He shares his unique professional journey and insights that have allowed him to develop meaningful relationships with sport coaches and maximize sport and weight room integration. In the second half of the episode, we shift gears and talk about entrepreneurship, life outside of coaching, including Clint's date with the Denny Stones at the Rogue Invitational. You can follow Clint on Instagram at ClintMar10 and on Twitter at MrCMar10. If you are ever in the Austin area, Clint invites you to stop by the UT Athletic Performance Center to connect. Enjoy the episode. Clint, how are we doing today? All good, brother. It's always good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. I would like to start off with one big question right here, all right? Talk to me. 2023 was a big year for Clint Martin because... Wedding ring, wedding vows, (laughs) all those things. For sure. Big change in my life. Absolutely. For the better, no doubt. For the better. Well, for me, for better. I don't know about her. You can ask her, but my life is much better now. All right. Well, first of all, congrats to you and Stormy on tying the knot. Two things I noticed from my own social media scrolling. Number one, your groomsman footage. Incredible. The NFL NBA game day style walk-up. Incredible. I'm probably going to steal that one from you. And then number two, (laughs) Uh, did I see correctly that you had the great Donnie Mabe officiate your wedding? D Mabe graced us with his presence as my as my officiant. And it was it was awesome. It was the best thing ever. It was great. Amazing. I'm sure it was a blast. And I'm sure Donnie killed it like he always does. Like he always does. We're excited to bring you on our podcast today because obviously we have a tremendous amount of respect for you as a human performance coach, as an educator, and as a person. Your resume speaks for itself, the All-Americans, championships, Olympic medals. It's impressive, no doubt. One of the things that really helps separate you from the masses of strength conditioning coaches is your ability to really do things in an original way. And you've really carved out your own path in this industry. I think a lot of strength conditioning coaches value collaboration with sport coaches, but few are able to really do it at the level that you've been able to do it at. All the while, you've been able to create a work-life balance that has allowed you to be entrepreneurial and have an identity outside the weight room, a term that I'm going to coin today as a modern strength conditioning coach. So happy to have you on. I have my notepad. I'm ready to go and I'm excited to learn. And you ready to do this? Do it. Let's dive in. All right. So begin by telling us about your current position at the University of Texas Athletic Performance. What teams do you currently work with? 
And how has your role evolved from when you first joined the staff till now? I'm associate head coach of performance at UT. Um, I'm in my ninth season, so I've been down here for a while now. Um, I directly oversee a full-time staff member, um, another staff member with another one of my programs, and I oversee track and field, men's swimming, and women's golf. So a lot of hands and a lot of baskets, um, but it's it's definitely changed a lot since I got there. Um, like when I came in, I came in as an assistant. Um, I'd left a, it was kind of weird, different, different transition than most. I'd left a head men's hoops job um, to come in here and assist with track. Um, for me, I was 24 years old and I felt that I was at a place where I needed to be vulnerable and I didn't feel that anymore. Um, so I was like, let me, let me step away before I get too comfortable over here in men's hoops uh, with no oversight or anything like that. And let me get back in the weeds. Let me continue to learn and let me continue to get pushed. Um, so that's how I came in. Um, as a 24 year old and obviously my roles shifted considerably since then, not assisting with teams, but um, leading teams and leading an apartment and um, designing weight rooms and different things like that. So the role has changed a ton, um, but it's been a, a different, it's been a different kind of upcoming or come up that I thought it would be um, a lot different than what I had planned. I didn't think I'd be here that long. Next thing you know, it's, going on a decade and, <laughs> and here we are i was gonna say nine years i went by that went by pretty fast huh quick now these gray hairs would say differently but yeah quick. <laughs> wow well yeah I, I think that's quite uncommon probably for you know a young 24 year old coach that is running a men's basketball program to leave like you said to be an assistant for track and field and, and working with track and field so good yeah. on you for recognizing that you know you wanted to push yourself in a certain kind of way and here you are nine years later. For sure. So we spoke at the UT Athletic Performance Clinic, which is coming up soon, by the way, again, about two years ago. And I remember we were talking about the importance of having a strong relationship with your head sport coach yeah. or your respective head sport coaches. Not that this is a new idea by any means, but while a lot of coaches know that this is important, I don't think that that's really the easiest thing to foster and foster yeah. in a genuine manner. So my question to you, Clint, is... You know, you've been there for nine years now, how you've been able to create a strong, trusting and really meaningful relationship with your respective sport coaches. I think this is like you said, it's not a new ideology. It's not something that I just came up with. Um, the biggest thing that you have to have is patience. Um, like any genuine relationship that you're going to build is not going to happen overnight. Um, and you can't expect it to with with most of my sport coaches, I've had multiple track staffs here since I've been here. Um, I've had the same swim staff since I've been here. Um, and I picked up women's golf three years into the process. But for me, I had to realize that this is what they are here for. They are here to oversee this program, their respective program. And then most of them have been coaching 20 plus years. So they've seen, They've been doing these things since before our profession was a really even a profession, right? And then over the years, they've they've seen how many strength coaches. So how can I expect them to just welcome me with open arms? Hey, I'm your guy. How many guys have you had in the past? How many girls have you had in the past? And did you get along with them? Um, if you had a great strength coach, then you're probably going to assume that your next strength coach isn't going to be great. Regression to the mean, right? Or if you had a handful of really bad strength coaches, then you're going to assume the same for your next. So for me, I think the biggest thing that helped me is just trying to sit down and try to meet them where they're at. And I don't need to show 
what I know or anything like that. I need to show them that I care about their program and that I'm here for them in their program. And that's been, to be honest, the best thing that's helped me kind of elevate my career. So what are some of those early conversations like? Like you went through a track and field mm-hmm. uh, overhaul with the staff, right? And you yeah. were you remained with track and field. So those early conversations, right? You said, hey, I want to show that I care about their program. What conversations are you having? What questions are you asking early on? What is that like to show that you are caring? It's funny. It's funny you asked this. So when Coach Flo got hired, I knew it was going to happen. I knew our staff was on the way out. I was actually, I flew from the national championship uh, overseas because I was consulting at that point. Um, And I was at 13 hour time difference. And I woke up one morning and I had 40 something missed calls, 50 something texts. Uh, my boss had hit me a bunch of times. I had a bunch of athletes. Hey, are you still here? Are you still here? Okay. So I know it just happened. So the first thing I did was I called my boss, Mabe, and I said, Hey, who is it? And can you get me their email? And that was the first thing that first conversation I had was, Hey, I'm here to support you and your program. Um, let me know if there's anything you need from me. Like, Nothing about resume, nothing about agendas. What do you need from me? Because at the end of the day, we're support staff. Um, so that's what some of those conversations looked like from the beginning. And then when I got on the ground, it was more of me sitting back and trying to understand and trying to learn from um, from my coach. Because I can understand track and field like the back of my hand in this context, but I've never seen it under the context of this head coach. So I might have no idea what it is I'm supposed to do. So for me, it's trying to make sure, one, I can meet them where they're at, but I have to understand where they're going to also help their athletes get there. So it was just trying to figure out what it was they actually needed from a performance coach. Definitely. And leaning into that a little bit here, let's talk a little bit about some of the integration between training on the track and the weight room. Um, we had you on an episode of the Kaiser Education Series with Derek and with Les last year, which was fantastic. And my understanding is that you're doing some really great things. Now, from what you said, I know that those things didn't happen overnight necessarily. Sure. There was there was a lot of sitting back, being patient, listening. Yep. And I'm sure as a coach, you're eager to share what you know and show that you can provide value, but really you're just you have to really remain patient. For sure. Um, if you can give us some insight though, kind of how that's evolved, where you got into now. Um, I know we could probably do an entire series on this, but really sure. a thirty thousand foot view of your general approach to integrating weight room with track. Yeah. So I love that you asked that question. So for us, we don't think about integrating the weight room with the track. We think of everything as a stressor for adaptation. So we think of the weight room being as important as what's going on in the track, as important as what's happening in the training room, as important as what's happening nutritionally, right? Because everything for us is a stressor that adds to the adaptation pie. So Yes, it might not all be equal amounts and equal percentages of how important they are, but if they're not looked at from the same lens as this thing is one of our most most important things that we do for our athletes, then we failed. So we look at everything from the same lens all the time. So I don't do anything in the weight room unless I know what's happening on the track and vice versa. Coach Flo and I have conversations about what's going to happen on the track to make decisions about what we're going to do from a weight room standpoint. And at the same time, what they need to be doing with the nutritionist going or the dietitians going in as well. So all those things happen simultaneously. Right. So when you're discussing KPIs or things that are important, it sounds like those are all shared amongst everybody, no matter 
what discipline you're in. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So from anybody who's, so for myself and then any of the event coaches, anyone who can put a stressor on the body physiologically, right? Um, for us, we have to share the same KPIs because if I'm chasing whatever I'm chasing in the weight room and it's not matching up with what they need, whether that be from a skill acquisition standpoint or from an output standpoint, then what are we doing? So for us, it's just trying to make sure that we're all going in the same direction, but we got to figure out what that direction is. Usually that starts with either the sport coach or um, being part of that conversation or being at practice. So if you can provide us maybe a little bit of insight into your preparation for every season, right? You're in the off season, you're getting ready for students to return to campus. You're having your meetings with your coaching staffs. Are you redefining things every single year? Are you saying, hey, this is what's important to so see? Like, can you give us some insight, maybe what those meetings are like before those student athletes return and kind of what the game plan and strategic plans are for the annual year? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll stick with track right now. Um, even it's really good going into an Olympic year. This is really important for us. Um, we were starting to have those conversations before the season was even done last year. Um, and for us, I was able to sit down with my head sports scientists and then sit down with the data analytics guys and figure out if there was anything else that we had looked at coming out of competition season that seems to have been influenced by the training. So we've had a, we have a ton of tests that we run. We get data from a lot of different avenues, a lot of different objective feedbacks. Um, but for us, we're able to dial in every year, something else. Um, so through this last season, we had a bunch of things that we were looking at that we know these things are really important for our 100 meter females. We know these things are really important for our 400 meter men. Great. What can we glean from this last season that can be more info for us to add into our um, kind of our KPIs, right? So we're looking at those things first. I'll have those conversations with the data guys. And then I can take those to the head coach and see, hey, what are these are the things that we're seeing from uh, from an objective standpoint that we can change or things that seem to be important. And now how do we want to try to attack those things? Do we want to do them in the weight room? Do we want to do them on the track? Do we want to do them simultaneously? When do those things need to be approached? Um, so that's kind of how those conversations will go. But every year we try to add another layer um, to what it is we're objectively training. You mentioned it being an Olympic year. So I'm curious to ask about how you balance preparation for NCAAs and the collegiate season, knowing that it's also an Olympic cycle. Sure. It's also an Olympic year. Great thing for, for us is we had shoot five or six athletes last year on the track program that obviously did really well at the NCAA level. And then a month later, we're able to go out and make finals at the, at the world championships. So Obviously, he's been doing it a long time. I've had a great opportunity these last seven or eight years um, to be able to work with a lot of those athletes post-collegiately or um, post their season that year. Um, so those are things that we balance really, really well. But we understand that we have really for the American athletes, we have three times at NCAAs and it's again at Olympic trials and then it's again at the Olympics or same for the Jamaican athletes, the same thing. We have some athletes who um they may not have to do an olympic trials like we have one of the fastest females in the world from to qualify so for us their programs may look different we may be able to slow cook them a little bit more because we have more time um so it kind of depends it's very individualized based on what they need to do and really age is a huge thing and who they are and how we're going to do it but it's all about long-term development long-term preparation for us so we're looking 
we're like our goal is the NCAA championships. That's what we're looking towards as well. But from the NCAA championships, how can we take that athlete and then get them going again one more time to get that last push toward the mm-hmm. Olympics? Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that you've discussed with me in the past too, and what I've heard you speak about, and this is part of that integration and stress is stress and, and the collaboration is you spend a lot of time out on the track, right? Yes. Right. So how as a strength conditioning coach that's starting off, right. With just kind of in the weight room, trying to sit back and learn and learn, is that a conversation of, Hey, do you mind if I come out on the track? Like what's the progression of those conversations to how you got to this point now? Yeah. So I actually started, it kind of worked out for me really easily with hoops because uh, as you know, like most performance coaches are going to go to basketball practice. That's, that's just what it is. Um, I have, I had a track background. Um, so going to basketball practices and learning like the basketball language and what was actually happening at practice was very eye opening for me. Um, but the thing that also stood out to me was like the guys didn't move very well. And I was like, that's one thing that I understood really, really well. So how can I, one, implement the things that I know into a system that's already really good and make that thing better? So I didn't try to run away from the things I knew. I kind of leaned into those things um, to try to help kind of build my understanding of the sport. And then on this end, how do I get out to the track with my coaches? For me, it's more of a let me learn from y'all. Let me continue to build my skill set. I'm here to help y'all. I can only be better if I'm learning from the best, right? So for me, I just want to learn. And I would go and I would shut my mouth and I would sit there and watch and um, start to ask questions as people feel more comfortable. Uh, The athletes feel more vulnerable around you and you're out there and the coaches start to trust you a little bit more. Because once again, I don't have an agenda. I don't have to be here, but I'm here for your program because I care. Um, And then once those things happen, um, the things start to open up for sure. Right. And being able to handle such a large group of athletes and athletes that are competing in different events, how do you do that? How do you bucket your athletes? How do you individualize as much as you can when when looking at this large number of individuals that you need to uh, be able to train and monitor and they're flowing you know, from practice right mm-hmm. into the weight room and it's very fluid? How do you keep in track of all that? How are you bucketing your athletes to, to really make the most of their experience? Nice thing here is that um, we have event coaches, right? So all the sprinters are trained by the same person. So that's really easy for me to understand what those stressors that have been placed on those athletes will have been um, or will be. So for me, and the other great thing is I've been here for a long time with the same Mm -hmm. staff. So, you know, that first year, I understand what the stresses should look like on these athletes, but at the same time, we're all figuring it out together, right? It's a new crop of athletes for them. Um, they may be able to recruit a different type of athlete than they've been able to recruit before. Uh, now I have to see how the training will affect them with, Hey, maybe we're lifting after, maybe we're lifting before those things might've been different in the past as well. So that first year, um, you're really taking in a bunch, um, you're doing everything you can from a science-based practice, but you're also rolling and learning. Like it's, it's very developmental and very much a learning standpoint. Um, the great thing about how we're able to develop is I get everyone for the first two to three weeks before they do anything with their coaches. Um, And I have a big battery of tests that we do. And those tests will kind of let me know where my athletes sit in terms of how you're talking about bucketing. Um, So what do they need? What are they really, really good at? Um, And then what 
is kind of their superpower or kind of the different ways that I look at it. And then from there, I can kind of plug and play based on their event groups and what they need to be able to do. Got it. So when they return to campus, really, like you said, the first two to three weeks, track staff knows us, they're going to be spending time with the clinic in the weight room and maybe on the track um, doing, hey, here's our bucket of assessments that we're going to throw at you. And this is just a, hey, let's identify where you're at right now at this time. And then we're going to create a plan and go. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're figuring out one, where you're at at this time, but then for the freshmen or transfers, we're trying to figure out who you are as an athlete in general. Um, I have no idea who you are. You're off the street. Yes, you're fast. Sure. What's your vehicle to get there? Right. So okay. we might have two athletes that run the exact same time. One might be really, really reflexive and one might be really, really muscular mm -hmm. based. Those things are going to tell me different things about how I need to train them. Right. Same demands, but they get there with a the different vehicle. So like that's when I call their superpower. Your superpower is very different than yours. Cool. Now I know that we haven't done any sprints. Right. So for me, it's easy to get them in these set buckets and then see how the stressors affect them. And then at this point now have a pretty big library to understand how to plug and play with them. Yeah. You mentioned assessments and having this battery, if you're willing to share just for someone who's listening, like willing to share one out of your, your battery of assessments, what's one thing that you, you look at and everyone's going to go through when they first get here. One thing we're we can go through all of them. Uh, one yeah. thing, as most, many as you're willing to share. One thing that most of my power athletes, I won't say all, most of my power athletes will do as soon as they get here, and that's a sprinter, that's a jumper, that's a hurdler, um, is we'll do some sort of jump assessment. Um, namely, we'll do Bosco jump in the weight room with myself. We'll also do some sort of um, taking away degrees of freedom. We'll do some sort of jump assessment on uh, the force decks as well. And then we're also going to look at um, strength levels and asymmetries from hamstring standpoint, from groin standpoint, from a uh, hip standpoint, we're looking at extension, we're looking at abduction. So those are things that we've been able to dial down and understand from a health standpoint. There's thresholds that we need to be able to maintain or be above just to be healthy and trained in this program. And then from a performance standpoint, there might be some low hanging fruit there for, hey, all of our high performers seem to be around here in these certain areas. So there's things that we need to strive for, but then also things that we need to, at the beginning of the year, we know we need to be here just to be healthy. So that's why I get everybody because I can give the coaches a green light or a red light. Hey, they're not ready for you yet. They're going to stay with me for a little bit longer. Right. So I imagine coaches thinking about that situation, putting their uh, themselves in your shoes right now, telling a track coach who's been itching to get his athletes back uh, <laughs> or her athletes back all summer. And then all of a sudden the strength conditioning coach walks in and says, Hey, this person's not ready. You know? So, so, but because of the work that you've put in, you know, over the amount of time that, that you've shared over the last nine years, you've gotten to this point now, you know, it didn't happen overnight. No, for sure. You're one year two with a new staff. You're not, you're not saying those types of things necessarily, sure. but yeah. you've put in that work on the front end to get to a point now where there is that trust and there is that meaningful relationship as we alluded to earlier. So, Aside from spending time out on the track, because I understand for strength conditioning coaches, that's a very important thing. Spend time in practice, not just to learn, but that shows that you do care. Uh, I agree. Absolutely. And aside from being at a place that has had a lot of success historically, uh, how do you get buy-in from your athletes? How are What are some additional methods or tools that you use to create buy-in, specifically in the weight room, for athletes that have been really, really fast their whole lives and really yeah. haven't paid much attention to the weight room. And maybe like, I don't, why do I need this? If I've already been so good for my whole life, 
Um, yeah. How do you help them learn to train and make it like an enjoyable environment to create buy-in? I think going back to what we talked about earlier, um, letting them understand that that's part of the development process, right? It's not, hey, track practice, then, oh yeah, also we have to go to the weight room. Like, no, no, look at, these are the things that are really important for you to do the things that you're telling me you want to do, right? The goals that you're saying you want to do, this is how we can accomplish them. And it's not only done on the track, right? It's done when you're making good decisions outside of when you're with us. It's done when you're in the weight room. It's done when you're in the training room. It's done when you're with the dietitian. Um, so letting them understand that it's all part of the process of them getting to where they're telling us they want to be. So for me, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, hey, what do you want to do? Okay, that's great. You're telling me your goals. How are we going to get there? Mm -hmm. We can't get there by just running. Otherwise, you would have done it already. Right. So for us, it's, it's trying to make sure that they understand that everything is a part of the, the process. Right. I love what you just said there. I'm going to write it down. Uh, otherwise, you would have done it already. <laughs> otherwise, you would have done it already. That's a great one. I should have just used that. There's too many times I talked way too much. Um, and I should have just said that. <laughs> otherwise, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> cool. Um, and I imagine what that does simultaneously is you're saying, hey, everything that we do here matters. So you're already now um, creating by association, buy-in with nutrition, buy-in with sports science, buy-in with athletic training, just by simply saying, hey, everything here matters. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, we've talked about this from a track and field lens, but obviously you said you have some experience with some other sports. I mean, I know when we would try to chop it up or catch up with you and say, Hey, I'm getting ready to travel with women's golf to, to national championships. So I want everyone to understand and appreciate that Clint's not just doing this with track and field, but this is the approach to all the teams that he's working with. Clint is on the road, traveling with these teams and putting it, putting in the time that, you know, his teams deserve and, you know, success is, it's not a secret. Why it's definitely been, it's been humbling being here. Um, and even taking in a, taking a sport like women's golf that, to be honest, when I when I found out I was taking over that program, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so the first thing I did was get online and buy some golf lessons. And I went <laughs> I went out to the course. I went out to the course. Uh, my my teacher was she was probably in her seventies and she was awesome. Um, and she coached me up and she found out what I did and uh, <laughs> she definitely opened my eyes because the way they golf is not how you and I golf, sir. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, and their preparation is not how we go out and just swing the sticks. So I learned a ton um, just by the same thing. You got to be around it and you have to try to understand it other than just, hey, we can make athletes. Anybody can make athletes. That's great. How can you make them better at their sport, which is why they're here? I was just laughing. My preparation is a sausage, egg and cheese, a coffee. 100%. Um, I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm going to start swinging with my, with my irons today on the range. And then I grab my driver, like two swings later. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> you know, the first time I sat in a, sat in a course management, um, like the night before a tournament, I'll sit in a course management meeting with the head coach and the players, the attention to detail, the details that actually matter and the things they're thinking about. I was like, even if I don't get any better with my club, if I can think about some of these things, I think I'll play better golf. So it, I mean, it completely changed my mind um, on what actually matters from my standpoint when I'm working with different athletes. For sure. I had the opportunity to work with golf at multiple universities too. It's been, I think my favorite sport to work with. I mean, I was a baseball player so growing fun. up and I played baseball and I worked with baseball and like was around some pretty good baseball teams. 
golf, I, I recommend to all coaches, if you have the opportunity to work with golf, absolutely take it. I've learned so much from working with golf. That's poured in a lot of my other rotational qualities that I might be training with somebody else. So no, yeah. it's, it's been really beneficial. Plus their attention to detail with programming is awesome. And I don't know if if you are a coach that is still using sheets out there and and that's what you do. Fantastic. Your golfers will fill it in perfectly. (laughs) Like like they nail everything down and it's clearly written and you can understand all of it. So for sure. Um, It was, uh, we really set it off when we got a track man in the weight room. Now (laughs) we're, we're good to go now. So, all right. Question for you then, um, having a track background, being around basketball, which is enticing for a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, a lot of times you're watching practice thinking about, yeah. oh, I could, you know, I could do that. I want to go do that. Or you want to go yeah. play. Uh, you have the itch. Uh, maybe you get a pair of shoes from the team. You want to go use them. Uh, and then being around golf too. And I know you've had some experience with swim and dive. Uh, which sport while you're watching it out at practice, do you want to be out there playing? Like which one gives you the biggest itch of like, I want to get out there. Definitely not track. I don't, I don't miss those practices at all. <laughs> um, to be honest, they're all so different and the way that the athletes are able to perform their tasks in the different sports are all so admirable. I love watching them all. They're all so different in their own right. And I know that's a PC answer, but they're all, they're all so fun to watch, which is, I mean, that's why we can do these things that we do, right. Working with hoops was it's great. I'm super young. I'm still athletic. I'm that guy. I'm bouncy. I'm fast. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching these guys get up and down the court and dunk and shoot and make threes with their eyes shut. And I was like, I can never do that. This is mm-hmm. fun. Oh, now I'm thinking, oh, I can make you better. And I can't do that thing. This is cool. Mm, this is fun. So I think um, for me, it was probably men's basketball because what they're doing is just ridiculous. What they're able to do is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when we had some conditioning sessions, I would be demonstrating, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run here and, you know, down and back. And four strides for one guy is like 20 for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think people understand. If you haven't been around them, I don't think they understand how big these guys actually are. That's unbelievable. They're Just massive. The, the strides <laughs> down the court. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I explain everything. You have your tough face on. You're like, all right, like blow the whistle. Right when you blow a whistle, first rep starts, I bend over. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's some water. You think you're good at basketball until you got a seven footer with his hand in your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate everything you've shared thus far. And obviously, you know, your attention to detail is clearly reflected in, you know, the success of your teams and what you've been able to achieve over the years. Like we said, not just track and field, but the other sports as well that you've been working with. I want to shift gears a little bit and ask about some of the things that you're doing outside of your full-time coaching oh. position. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, you're doing a little bit of consulting work overseas, from what I see in here, it's becoming more and more common practice for strength conditioning coaches to venture into the world of entrepreneurship and leverage their education, their certifications and coaching experiences and leveraging those to maybe add some additional income, a side sure. hustle, so to speak. So what other opportunities have you been able to create for yourself? I think part of it has been, like I've, I consult, I work with professional athletes um, I've, I've done a lot of consulting over the last five or six years. And I think part of that has happened because I stopped looking at myself as a strength and conditioning coach. When I looked at it as a performance coach that opened up the world. Cause when you're thinking of strength and conditioning, you're thinking about things that you can do in the weight room and like, how can we make you stronger? But there's so many things that are attached to 
human performance and how we can make better athletes that aren't just tied into the X's and O's of concentric, eccentric, isometric, but actually just skill acquisition and movement and whether it's um, thought processes or uh, nutritional abilities. Like there's so many different pieces to the puzzle that we can get kind of hemmed in when we only think of ourselves as the strength and conditioning coach. So when I took a step back and I thought about athletic performance or human performance, I think that opened a ton of doors for me. And consulting is great because what are you doing? What, what is consulting? It can be whatever you want it to be. And that's, that's the great thing. If you have the experience for it, you can really do it in a bunch of different domains and you don't have to silo yourself. Mm -hmm. When did you, you know, what was that, what was that feeling like when you're like, Hey, I think I'm going to try to do some consulting work. Maybe you realize that it, you know, halfway through that you're actually doing it at the time, yeah. <laughs> but what was that like for a coach? When did you start to gain some confidence and like, okay, I'm not just coach Clint Martin in B2 in the weight room, but mm -hmm. Clint Martin outside mm -hmm. of these walls. And this is my experience. Like, when did you start to gain some confidence behind what you were doing? Cause I imagine early on, it's kind of like, uh, this is new to me. And should sure. I, feel, I feel guilty about this. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you say to that? I'd say I gained confidence kind of how we do as coaches when we're first kind of just thrust into it. Um, the first kind of opportunities I had, really weren't things that I chased after. There were opportunities that I'm like, wow, I really need to do that if this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and the first time I was consulting overseas, uh, the first day they sent me an itinerary of things I was going to be doing. I was meeting with some coaches, coaching coaches, working with physios, uh, working with ATs. Um, and I got off the plane and I was overseas. And it's 6.30 a.m. when I get off the plane, I drop my, they get me to the hotel, drop my stuff off, I get to the office at 8 a.m. And next thing I know, I'm in a room with 50 people and most of them don't speak English. And I was lecturing for, I think, six hours straight. <laughs> and that was just, I wasn't expecting any of that, but they brought me here because they thought I had a skill set that I could, that they, that they could leverage. And for me, it was one of those things, well, well, we're here now. This is what I know. This is what I can help you do. And I was able to kind of continue to do that thing because I realized I do have a skill set and we do have skill sets and they're not necessarily, it might not be the people we think need to have them or need to hear them that we actually mm -hmm. need to get those messages to. That's actually why I started doing more speaking here. I never really wanted to do speaking or podcasts or anything like that. Um, and then Brett Bartholomew, I got to know him really well and he called mm -hmm. me out one day and he said, Hey, you're going to be on my podcast. I said, what do you mean? I didn't want to be on your podcast. You don't have a chip. You don't have a choice. You're going to be on my podcast. You have stuff that people need to hear and you need to say it. And that was one of the best things I've done because um, you can put skin in the game. We're, we're professionals. We've been doing these things for a long time and we're, we have a skill set. And I think as athletic performance coaches, we don't give ourselves enough credit from that standpoint. And we, we sit in the weight room and, that's kind of what we do. Whereas we we're not forward facing uh, outside of our coaches and our ATs, but I think that's something we need to stop doing and stop being quiet on. Absolutely, and you know, for those who haven't had the opportunity, and you really should uh, listen to if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to Brett Bartholomew's podcast, Art of Coaching, um, just fantastic podcast. Highly recommend it. Um, that's awesome to see that he challenged you in that way. And, you know, obviously we had you on multiple times and have you on again today because you're right. You do have things to say that, that we really enjoy. And that kind of leans into the term that I would 
used earlier, which is this modern day strength conditioning coach. Cause I agree with you. Uh, absolutely. That I think we do have education. We do have experiences that, um, you can go out and coach people and be a useful resource and, and help people and be compensated for it at the same time. For sure. And <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and that's, that's not wrong anywhere, but in our space, it seems. And in fact, chasing opportunities that will compensate you for helping people will probably provide you with the opportunity to help more people. Absolutely. So, um, you know, that's awesome. And, and congrats on, you know, like I said, congrats on the success you had so far, obviously looking forward to, you know, what will become of coach Clint over the years of, of coaching and, and the continued success that you will have any thoughts about the impact that training gen pop or hmm. private sector clientele has had on you as a person and coach. It's interesting. Um, We'll start with the gen pop question. I haven't really worked gen pop or I hadn't really worked gen pop until COVID happened because I wound up with more time on my hands. Mm -hmm. um, so, cause when I started, I started my own coaching company at 22 and I was working with high school level, professional level, college level. It's always been in athletics, but I started working with some gen pop clients just for fun or most of them were people that I knew um and or retired athletes whatever you want to call them and next thing you know like you're really making a difference in people's lives and that's my wife um she she's a professional she works in hr but she also she has a degree in kinesiology and she's been a trainer for a decade as well and she does it with gen pop specifically so every now and then i'll go to a class with her um mm -hmm. or something like that and she doesn't need to do it. She does it because she loves it so much. And she'll come in and tell me stories about her classes and she gets up early and I'm like, you don't have to do that anymore. But she's like, no, I love it so much. And then once I started doing it, I understood because for us getting up and going to work out and being healthy is something we know, something we mm -hmm. do. When somebody takes on that challenge, that can really change someone's life. So I think mm -hmm. that that's a really cool piece that is added into a lot of people's lives that I don't think I'm too good enough for. Um, so I think if you can make anyone's life better, especially through health and movement, what better way to do it? And then from, yeah, I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, when I was at UT doing my GA there, I, I TA'd for uh, kinesiology and we had a one credit course. I taught probably three or four of them and I taught undergrads. And a lot of times at UT, I think to get to full time, you need 12 credits maybe. Um, and it was 11 credits that a lot of engineering students had. So they kind of forced engineering students to have one more credit uh, for a class. So I taught circuit aerobics. I taught weight training um, all at the rec center. And I'd have like 25 students in a class and kids that have never sniffed the weight room in their lives. Um, and I have to say, like, those are some of the most rewarding experiences I've had coaching. <laughs> for sure. When you see that, uh, this is something I could and I should and I would love to do. Those moments, those are pretty cool. Um, like my wife came in last week and she's like, I had somebody at my class today who's their first time ever being around weights. And like, those are the best days. And I get it. I get it now. I didn't for a while, but I, I do understand now and I get it. Yeah, I I recall a lot of those students and it, it made me a better coach uh, with athletes, you know, that were working in, a, in college because if I could get 
an engineer who's never seen the weight room in their lives to squat pretty well, like I should be able to get, I should be able to get a really high level to squat really well. It's, it's, it's a new challenge. Um, that's even goes back to like the consulting piece, like putting myself out there, um, getting some skin in the game. Do I think it's harder to coach a room full of 18 year olds who's been training for most of their life or going to a foreign country where most people don't speak my language and try to get them to understand how we train athletes in the U.S.? That's considerably more challenging than my job day to day. So that made me grow as a coach as well. So Gen Pop absolutely will make you a better coach. You know, everybody's had those 18 year olds who come in the weight room. They're just wide eyed. You know, it's going to be a process. Now Mm -hmm. you become a better coach when you can get that person from A to B. Um, so same thing from a gen pop standpoint, if someone's not well-versed, um, in any of those health settings that will make you a better coach and potentially person. So it makes sense to me if you have that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And you share some content on your social and just so everyone knows Instagram at Clint Mar 10, uh, and we shared on our Kaiser community, but you returned to the rogue invitational, uh, <laughs> this year for another date with the Denny stone. So how so, did this year go for you relative to last year's performance? It was interesting in the fact that I, I had, I have some data now from the year prior, right? Going in the first year, I had no idea what was going on. I was, I was training for it, but I, you don't have an opportunity to pull the Denny's. You just, when they're there, that's your one opportunity. You won't see them again until you either go to Scotland or they bring them to you. Um, so it was definitely, it was definitely considerably better. I think I held the, held the stones two and a half times longer than I held in the first year. Um, first year I was just so exhilarated from the whole experience. This uh-huh. time I, I, as soon as the stones slipped out of my hands, I was like, I want to go again. I think I got more. <laughs> um, so it's, it's definitely made me pretty hungry. Um, and the training has been, it's been awesome to have something to train for again as well. So that's been, it's been really fun for me. With a year of experience under your belt, how did your training change compared to last year? It changed. Consider I gave myself more time this time. So the first time, same thing kind of happened. I was kind of thrown into it. Hey, you're doing the Denny Stones in five weeks. You say what now? Okay, so that <laughs> that's how it happened the first time. This year it was more like a hey, uh, you know that thing you let me do last year? Can I? Can I? Okay, we can go again. Cool. So I took a 16 week runway this time um, and actually had a like a four month prep for it which was great. Um, knowing what, what my limitations were the prior year definitely helped me kind of hone some of those things and figure out where I need to spend some more of my effort. Um, it's crazy. I'm 33 years old. Um, used to do athletics at a high clip. Strongest I'd ever been was this year going into Denny Stones. So wow. that was that was pretty cool for me because those were things that, I mean, I've had injuries. I've had all types of crazy things. I never thought I'd get back there. A um, couple weeks out leading up, I'm like, oof we might be able to get some things done this year. So that was, that was fun. And I had a lot of help, um, had a lot of help with training, a lot of support, which is really cool. Last year, I kept it pretty quiet because you never know how it's going to go. Uh, but this year yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of support and that was, that was really fun. So it was really cool. Yeah. Not be able to pull them. I don't ever knew you did that. This yeah, year. Like, that my first time I ever tried. <laughs> Gosh, my head walk away. It's all good. <laughs> um, well, if you can kind of place yourself back into that moment, of this year. Can you describe that experience of having all those spectators around you, uh, Dr. Jan Todd and all these strong men that you see on TV around yeah. you, watching you, cheering you on? What, what was that like? It's, it's humbling to say the least. Um, I mean, some of the strongest people in the world, and when I say some of, I mean, the strongest 
men yeah. in the world and women. There's a couple of females there that are just unbelievable. Um, the world's strongest man currently from last year, he's there. Um, so that in and of itself is just an amazing environment. I watch them prepare um, in the ready room and during warmups. It's unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then even still, like I've been around strength for a long time. The first time I went to the rogue games, I'm like, I felt like a, like a neophyte. I was like, I, I have no idea what's going on. I'm a strength coach and I'm, Hey, Hey, come clip this, come do this. Come all the bars are different. I'm like, this is so different than what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely humbling. Uh, it's really cool to be in, in their presence for sure. Uh, the fans, like having fans and cameras and all those things, like it's been a while since I've been around that. So <laughs> To, to be able to do those things again, it's it's just an awesome experience. Um, if, if you haven't had a chance to get out to any of the Rogue events, absolutely, if they come to your area, make make the trip. It, it's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Incredible. That's so awesome. So I watched the video a few times, and I actually heard uh, through somebody that you said you went with the wrong hand. I did. I switched. I trained a little different, and then I got up there, um, and I pulled my – I pulled a little bit heavier than weight in my warmups um, and I did it goofy handed. I didn't realize at the time, but it felt so good that I was like, well, I, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> it, felt, it felt good. It's how I warmed up. And I was like, we're, we're going to see. How, and then I wound up doing it considerably longer. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's why I really, I really want to do it again and get another opportunity next year. And Dr. Todd is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. She came, she came to the weight room. I want to say it was my last pull day. So I might've been like six days out. It was my last pretty, no, it was probably 10 days out. My last really heavy pull day. Um, and I, I had my headphones on, I'm locked in. And I look up and she's sitting there smiling. And I said, oh, hey, Dr. Todd, how are you? She's like, I'm great. I'd really love to see you pull this before I leave. <laughs> no pressure now. <laughs> uh, so no, having her has been awesome. And what I've learned from her and her support has been just mm -hmm unmeasured it's awesome right that sounds something that sounds like something she'd say <laughs> i'd really love to see you pull this like, yeah. <laughs> um so what was your time this year ish 14 seconds mm -hmm. i want to say around 14 seconds and last year i think it was six official prediction for next year I'm going 25 plus for sure. I haven't hook gripped yet. Everybody hook grips and they all told me when you got, you didn't hook grip that? No. If you hook grip, you're going, you're going 20 plus, maybe 40. And I was like, 20 or 40 sounds great to me. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to hook grip it next year. We're getting after it. 25 plus seconds. I got it written down. Got it written down. I'm just getting <laughs> together, brother. I'm here for you. Um, all right. So Clint, tell us what is life like for you outside of coaching? Um, on a casual weekend day, what are some of the things that you do to enjoy Austin? Well, Austin, Texas is like, if you haven't been here, all right, before you go to a rogue event, go to Austin, Texas. Um, <laughs> Austin is unbelievable. I know you enjoyed your time down here. Um, I love music. I love music. So the amount of concerts my wife and I go to are it's kind of ridiculous, but we got some plugs. Uh, so we go to a lot of concerts. I'm a big foodie. We eat a lot of food. Um, I'm also a country boy at heart. So <laughs> if I can get outside on some land, get some fishing, um, <laughs> do some shooting, we we would do that whenever we can too. So definitely a lot of a lot of the outdoors things that Austin has to provide. I have a really awesome community down here, um, not just in 
SNC or athletic performance, but we have a really good community of friends down here as well. So we, we try to, we don't spend much time in the house. <laughs> we don't Yeah. spend a ton of time in the house, but yeah, we spend a lot of time with our friends and doing things outside. That's terrific. And I'm curious to know a little bit how creating that work-life balance uh, has happened as you've matured as a coach and as a person that's, you know, very invested in this field and the people you work with, obviously you put a lot of time into this. Like I mentioned, you're traveling with multiple teams. Um, how has that kind of changed over the years? How have you been able to create that uh, as you've gotten older and still have a lot of the same responsibilities, if not more? Yeah, I think when you know, when I was a younger coach, like when I packed up from my hometown and I moved across the country to Nevada, and you're you're in your early twenties, and you, I moved sight unseen, got a call on Sunday, moved out there Tuesday or Wednesday, something like that. I don't know anybody, and so what do I do? I just invest my time in work. I go to the office at five and I leave at ten because I don't have anything else to do. Um, so. Obviously not a healthy thing to do, uh, but when you're younger and you're just trying to invest and spend time, that's what you think you have to do. And then as I got older, I realized that I can, I can not only get better at my craft by not just sitting in my office all day, but the things that I do to fill my cup outside of work actually make me a better coach. So if I were to only go into the weight room and then come home and think about programming or whatever else I need to do for my next macro cycle, then I don't think that would help me pour into my athletes the way I can. Whereas if I spend time with my wife or with my friends, I come back rejuvenated. And now my athletes can get that best part of me. So I think that is part of it. And that's why I think a lot of coaches do get burnt out because I mean, our profession, you have to have a master's degree to get this $35,000 job, right? Mm -hmm. So we think we have to keep adding letters to the alphabet soup. Otherwise we can't climb up the ranks. For me, sure, I have my master's and I have a bunch of certificates and those different things. That's great. Um, the things that have helped me climb up the ranks is being really, really consistent. So I've, I've show up, I'd be really consistent for my coaches. And that's in my preparation. That's in the work that I'm able to get them. And that's in the quality of product and what I can give to my athletes and coaches. Um, then also from that consistency and where I've been. I know when I first got in the field, it's you got to bounce. You got to get to the next job. You got to chase that extra Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Well, 10K, that'll change your life and you're making 35 grand, right? So you're chasing every job you can get. I was at three spots in my first year and a half. And the next thing I knew, I sat down somewhere and I was really able to put down roots, enjoy the time that
fantastic. She didn't lose a race in the hundred in the last 16 months or something like that in college. It was unbelievable. Um, but to see where she was five years ago when she got here and the, what she's grown into as a, an athlete. And then also as a woman, like that thing, I'm getting choked up a little bit. Like that's mm -hmm. the thing that like, those are the moments. That's why we do what we do. Right. So I think uh, moments where one, you can see all the hard work pay off. Those are the things that like really, really stand out to me. And then with that, I think my head coach said it last week with that, like those moments of failure that athletes are able to come back from. That's, a, that's another piece of it that none of this happens without failure along the way. Um, failure on my part, failure on the athlete's part, failure on somebody's part. Like it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows on the, <laughs> on the road to success. So right. being able to, being able to have a roadblock, being able to sit down, figure out how we get across that, get around that, get through that. Um, and then make our way to the rest of our story, whether that's success in athletics or elsewhere. Um, but watching the process, and I keep saying that, but not just the training process, but watching the growth process is something that's just really awesome for me. And those are the moments that like really stick out for me as a coach. Mm -hmm. Terrific. I really appreciate you sharing that and and everything that you've uh, said today is really awesome and and appreciate your time. For people that want to reach out to you or get in touch with you, what's the best way to uh, uh, get in touch with you and um, uh, be able to use you as a resource potentially? DMs or emails, for sure. I, if you DM me, I'll probably see it at some point. If you email me, I'll absolutely see it today. Um, so DMs <laughs> and emails, and those are on. You can find those on the websites, uh, on UT's website. I'm clint.martin at utexas.edu. Um, like I said, if I've never not responded to an email. You can check me if there's anybody on here I haven't responded to. <laughs> I don't believe it. Um, I will always respond to your emails um, and then DMs. More than likely, I'll be able to get back to you as well. But I love to converse. I mean, I talk to former interns. I actually have a call with an intern here as soon as we get off this call. Um, mm -hmm. But I love to talk shop. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for people taking time for me um, and people letting me lean on their experience. So I try to give pay that forward as well. Yeah, I'll say it again. There's there's a lot of really good ones in the field. Clint is up there with with some of the best. So definitely encourage people who are listening in to reach out to Clint. Uh, he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience, and very humble. And and you know, highly recommend reaching out to him and and creating a relationship with Clint. So appreciate that, Clint. A um, couple of quick hitters here uh, mm. to wrap it up. A, a lightning round, so to speak. You ready to go? Yes, let's do it. Favorite barbecue in Austin. Styles and switch, big old ribs. The, the beef rib. Oh, need it. Gotta <laughs> have. I might go get one right now. Gotta have. You paused the lightning round by saying that for me. <laughs> the beef rib at Style Switch every Sunday before NFL games. That was my move. It's one rib. It's just. Oh yeah, gotta have it. All right. Favorite taco. Granny's tacos. All right. Favorite piece of Kaiser equipment to train on. Ooh, like breasts. Slash Air Squad, I love them both simultaneously. Both of them. You mentioned concerts and going to a lot of great concerts. Favorite concert you've been to? That's not fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll have to go with Kid Cudi. It's unbelievable. But there's been so many good. Cudi was unbelievable. All right. If something else comes up, you let me know. But I there's see there's a lot of other ones in there. There's so many. <laughs> Chris Stapleton was unbelievable. Yeah, there's so many. I saw Stapleton 2016 ACL. Incredible. Incredible. So good. I saw so him good. 
in October this year. It was incredible. Unbelievable. Oh man, that's awesome. All right. Uh, area outside of strength conditioning that you're really curious about. Curious or I dabble in, like I like to look at it. Either. Uh, I really like history, specifically like military history. I just so finished like, rewatching Banner Brothers and the Pacific again for like the yeah, tenth time. I, for like the tenth time. I, liked you for, I knew I liked you for some reason. I, I can't stop. That. I'm gonna watch it again probably over break. No, um, no. Last one. Score prediction for the Texas Washington College Football Semifinal. Oof, I'm not gonna get messy. You know me on PC. Um, I think it's a ten point dub, Longhorns in New Orleans. All right, which I hear you're going to, correct? I am going for sure. I gotta support the boys. Incredible. We'll have evidence either uh, on that. And uh, if you've never emailed anybody back and 25 plus seconds for next year. So we have you written down for all three. You got me. <laughs> Check in on me next time. Uh, awesome, Clint. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. Appreciate your time. It's always great to catch up. Wishing you and Stormy uh, and your families uh, happy holidays and a happy and healthy new year. And if 2024 can be half as good as 2023, then I imagine it's going to be another great year for you. All right. Happy holidays, brother. Thanks for having me on. All right. You too. Thanks. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. To stay up to date on all things Kaiser, follow us at Kaiser Fitness on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more content, you can visit our Kaiser Fitness YouTube page and at our website, www.kaiser.com. Thank you and have a great day.